This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I need you guys to reach back a little bit, okay? Remember the scene in the original Star Wars when Luke Skywalker manages to tap into R2-D2's hard drive? You with me here? And up pops this hologram of Carrie Fisher, a.k.a. Princess Leia, saying, Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Okay, so that was 1977. I'll admit it. I was alive and first in line at the Avco Theater in Westwood to see it. But that short little clip is now considered to have been the first sort of iteration of what today is called the metaverse, a digital world where users can interact and game and experience things as they would in the real world. And by using emerging AR, augmented reality, and virtual reality technology, you can dive into this digital world and interact with overlaying objects and people and the visuals that are projected right in front of you. And just as that first early metaverse hologram involved a woman, Princess Leia, it's now another woman who's zooming ahead in the pack in creating this technology that is so realistic that luxury companies are kind of falling over themselves to partner with her so you and I can have a much more immersive experience. I I guess like if you could think about trying on a pricey diamond necklace to see how it falls on your collarbone without ever leaving your home, kind of live and living color, right? So how did Karen Sinha go from, I'm going to be a dancer when I grow up, to getting accepted to MIT without a high school diploma to becoming one of the Silicon Valley world's leading ladies? Her story is so good. I said, you know what? Get her on. Karen is the CEO and founder of augmented reality technology leader Illumix. Karen, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Well, the audience for this conversation, they are motivated. They're fascinated. We have hundreds of thousands of people every month who are downloading this to hear it. And yours is going to be one of the best because I love this. I mean, but am I sort of on the right track about Princess Leia and that hologram being the early example of the metaverse? It is so funny that you bring that up. Yes, you are absolutely on track. And in fact, rebuilding that on a phone in my God, it must have been something close to 2012 was probably the (laughs) first AR experience I ever personally built myself and really kind of kicked off my passion for what is now Illumix. But it was literally building that exact experience and seeing it live. So that moment, I think, captured the imagination of so many people standing in line, you know, watching Star Wars Mm -hmm. from their homes, anything. and, And it's really what I think captured my imagination and made me completely obsessed with this idea of this could be real and I wanted to be the one to build it. Well, holograms are are the coolest. They're so fascinating. I'm thinking of the Fox MLB, the Major League Baseball game, just a week ago or so, uh, the, the Field of Dreams one where they brought back to life Harry Carey, you know, the guy who called the Cubs games. He yeah. sang Take Me Out to the Ball Game in a hologram. And, and you know, he's been gone from this world for 25 years, but the, the applications are, are kind of 
endless, the possibilities. But, um, you know, I'm a bit of a metaverse skeptic. I prefer real-life encounters when it comes to social interactions. But, you know, this whole virtual dressing room thing, the business and gaming applications is very intriguing to me, as is your story of how you came to be one of the top technologists in the Valley. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and, and then to that end, why you didn't get to realize your dream of being a dancer. You know, when I was a child, I think I was very intense and I was very focused and I had sort of two loves in this world. I loved being creative and that's, I think, really where the dancing came in. I started dancing from the time I was very young, to be perfectly honest, because I was such a uncoordinated dork than my mom <laughs> to dance classes. And it really took and it was such a beautiful way, I think, to express yourself. And the second passion I really found was in mathematics. I loved math from a very young age. It felt like something that was clear and true and something where, you know, simple things could be really complex, but complex things could be made really simple through this way to understand the world around us. And what I found actually in pursuing both pretty actively is that it was not as dissimilar as people make it out to be. I think there's this sense that you're either a creative person or a technical person. And I always felt that these two very naturally meshed together. Uh, when I was young, I spent all my time really doing one or the other. And I was planning to be a professional dancer, especially when I was young. It led me to kind of start to attend high school less eventually leading to me dropping out and uh it taught me so many things that today have been such essential skills i think in in doing a startup of you sit there and you practice one routine over and over and over and you do it every day you do it i did it every night i don't think i ever attended like a high school dance or anything like that because i was really trying to perfect what I was doing. And I think that mentality, even though I got injured and dancing didn't work out for me, it helped me bounce back. And I think it laid the foundation for me being willing to really pursue something that was creative, which is ultimately what I consider, even though Illumix is a technology company, I think creativity is what fuels the underlying energy right, of everything right. here. And I think it's that worst. It's, it's the work ethic and it's the going out and forcing your own opportunities, even when those things might not exist that I think have been the most challenging, but also the most rewarding moments oh, in building. Exactly. Forcing, forcing it. And, and what a lot of people don't understand is there are a lot of strains and injuries, uh, forget dance, in, in trying to build a business. And it's not supposed to always feel good. It's very hard. What I find pretty interesting here, though, is that you turned a stumbling block, which was an injury derailing your dream of being a dancer, into a stepping stone. And you weren't even out of high school yet. Uh, did I hear you say dropout? Can we talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh I went to the first two years of high school, so through sophomore year, but sometime in junior year, it became clear to me that uh, it, I didn't feel that it was the best use of how I was spending my time. I was very involved in my passion and pursuit of being a dancer, and 
you know, I, it wasn't that I wasn't academically inclined. It was that I, I think I always felt that I could pursue it at an individualistic level and really pursue specific passions I had in that space better than through traditional high school paths. Mm -hmm. I just, mm -hmm. I think I've always felt really firmly that I didn't fit in if we're being completely honest here. And I had a, I had a hard time in school growing up. I was really heavily bullied. I was really unhappy. I used to beg my parents to homeschool me because I just couldn't find a group where I felt made sense for me and where I made sense for them. And can so I, can I, I just I, ask, why were you bullied? Oh, I mean, I was a very, very dorky child. There's no two ways around that. I was the, the definition of a nerd. I didn't completely fit in in my surroundings, mm -hmm. I think. And I was a very serious, intense little kid. And it, it just, I wasn't as interested in some of the things other people were. And I think there was always a sense of, they don't appreciate me and I was an easy target from the time I was very young. I would say my, some of my first recollections being heavily bullied, like even at a physical level were in third or fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And I think that persisted throughout. So there were a lot of times where I questioned my worth and I questioned if I was ever going to find my people and I remember feeling profoundly isolated. And I think part of what drew me to dance was it was a moment where I felt really connected and really free of a lot of that. And I think that was part of what made it such a passion for me growing up. Dance and music was sort of this different realm in which you could exist. But all but those feelings of isolation, what I realize now in retrospect is it actually made me more sure of who I was. Because hmm. it's a choice, who you show up as every day is a choice to some level. And it's your identity, I think, comes from making that choice over and over. Every day you choose who you show up as. And when you're isolated and you're not fitting in and you continue to show up as that person, I think it makes you a more self-assured version of yourself. And I'll say as a founder, it's a profoundly isolating journey. You're pursuing a vision of the world that other people might not understand. Or believe in. Or believe in or believe in you're going to deal with a lot of rejection. You might lose friends, relationships, put strain on familial relationships. It, it puts a lot on you for a version of the world that if you go by the numbers will never exist. Mm -hmm. But you have to believe in it and you have to wake up every day and make the choice to pursue that wholeheartedly, knowing in your heart that something is true. And I think to me, that was something that I almost felt I had practiced from the time I was little of waking up and deciding this is what I'm passionate about and this is where I'm going to pour my energy even okay. if it doesn't fit into a box. And it's exactly what you do every day as a founder. And then that must have been traumatizing if you dropped out of school to pursue dance and then you get injured. That must have been quite a blow. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. 
I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. So how did you then transition from that to, oh, let me apply to MIT as a young teenager? It was traumatizing. I won't lie. I cried a lot that summer sitting on the sofa when I couldn't really move my ankles, uh, knowing that that dream I had and something I'd poured so much time of my life into was never going to come back. And I Mm -hmm. think that's something that you don't reconcile all at once. It's come in waves throughout my life of realizing that something that I loved so deeply is, is not a part of my life anymore. But I knew it was coming at some level in my head when I was pursuing, you know, a soloist career very seriously. And I was training for several hours a day. This is ballet. This was a uh, classical Indian, actually. But I also had done ballet and right. jazz. It was, you know, you do pretty holistic training when you're dancing. Of course. Um, but it, this was classical Indian. And uh, my mom and I had, I think, a very frank conversation where we both both knew as I had a big performance coming up that it was probably it was actually going to, it was actually my debut performance and that it was probably going to be my first and last oh. professional. We, we knew it coming into it because I was, my injuries were getting so much worse going in. I was taking cortisone shots, right. Oof. To get through in the middle of the performance kind of thing backstage. It was a pretty intense time, but I wanted that one shot to live mm-hmm. out the dream, even if I knew it would come to an end right afterwards. And I think in, in parallel, we were thinking, what are my other options? I could go back to high school and that would be challenging in a number of ways, or I could really look at that next step. And I decided to apply to colleges. It turns out MIT does not require a high school diploma and took me as I was because I also was pursuing math at a very high level and a nationally competitive level at that time. And so that sort of saved me. Mm. And it, it wasn't until later in my college career, I would say junior year, that I actually really got more clarity on what I wanted to do. The first two years, there was still a kind of mental transition from thinking I was going to be a dancer to feeling lost and having to feel yourself again and be able to open up and look at the world of possibilities and take your next leap. Absolutely. And, and you know, going to MIT as a younger person, 
I'm sure it wasn't the easiest thing in the world, but not only did you make it through, you also got a bunch of other higher educational uh, degrees from Stanford MBA. And I mean, the list goes on here. How did you then find your way to augmented reality? And again, this is what you need, what the, the collective you need has to do with metaverse. And what crystallized your interest in this? It's the funniest thing. You know, the first thing we, we talked about was the sort of Disney Star Wars scene uh, with Princess Leia. Oh, yeah. But actually, the first AR project that I worked on, I use AR in kind of quotes, was from Iron Man. So there's a lot <laughs> of this kind of influence in my life of as I was in my senior year, I met another student and we kind of were toying around the idea of this Iron, Iron Man has this incredible desk where it's kind of again, holographic, and you use your hands to swap between different desktops. And I remember see it. 3D models. Yeah, and it was incredible. And I thought when I was at MIT, I studied math, but also electrical engineering and computer science. I was really curious about the idea of, could we actually build this? Could this be my desktop screen? That would be so incredible. And so it was a not total success, which is another way of saying it was a failure, but I learned a lot <laughs> along the way. Uh, but it was the first time I really pursued building it. And it just gave me such joy, the kind of joy I felt when I was dancing, where I was just so thrilled to see and excited about what could be built there. And it's really the first time I started thinking about this, this crash of the digital and the physical world. And you mentioned at the beginning a bit of a metaverse skeptic. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of how the metaverse is talked about today, and this is for a number of reasons from how big companies talk about it to I think a lot of what's happened in the crypto world, there's this idea that it's this completely virtual dystopian world we're all going to live in. I really dislike that version of the world, to be frank. I actually, what I love so much about augmented reality is this idea of breaking free from living behind screens or, you know, even worse inside of screens and actually taking all of that creativity, that data, all the digital world and bringing it into the real world. I philosophically believe that technology should better connect us to the world around us, not separate it. That's really where I think augmented reality for me becomes a better version of the future than the direction we're currently heading in. Well, to that end, I do have to ask you about this partnership that you have with, well, let's just say it, Quiet Diamonds, right? Is that K-W-I-A-T? Yes. Quiet yes. Diamonds? Okay. So this is what fascinates me. There's nothing I would love more than to try something on virtually versus schlepping to the store. But it's so far not been the kind of technology that's really realistic. Describe what Illumix is doing for this high-end luxury jewelry company. Sure. Uh, we've created the technology where digital objects and digital goods can be brought into the real world so that experiences that you have with this sort of digital content, for example, a diamond bracelet or a diamond ring is actually realistic to what it might be if you were wearing that in real life. Or, you know, your interaction with a character like Princess Leia or any or anyone else might be realistic to what it would be like if that character were actually there with you. I want to interact with Richard Gere in a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do that for me? All right. I mean, the, the whole the whole runway 
appears to be really long when you look at the possibilities of all of this. And you keep mentioning, I mean, look, Disney did not own uh, Star Wars uh, before George Lucas and Lucasfilm sold to Disney. But I, I see a parallel here with George Lucas because George Lucas and you're dancing because George Lucas dreamt of being a race car driver and then he had an accident and he couldn't be a race car driver. So this goes back to the whole turning a stumbling block into a stepping stone. But to that end, the Disney connection, you actually now have a partnership with Disney. What are you going to be doing with them in Illuminix? Well, I can't speak too much to any specifics here, but we were incredibly lucky to have participated in the Disney Accelerator and gotten investment from Disney. And we're very much excited to share more in the future about some of the opportunities there. But as you mentioned, it really has been a dream come true of when we formed this company, as I mentioned, a lot of inspiration came from those types of companies, Lucasfilms, Disney, Pixar, companies that really were at the forefront of both technology and media. And I think that's how we saw Illumix would be at the forefront of technology and media and companies that had a very long roadmap. And I think that that's something that we try to keep in mind as well. There's a lot of narrative, I think, in Silicon Valley, and it's certainly, you know, highlighted when a company can make it and grow very quickly. Speed, speed to scale is something that's worshipped inside of the tech ecosystem. So if you can make a company and you can turn it into a billion dollars overnight, that's considered the height of success. But when you really look at the companies that exist today that have changed our world, the Amazons, uh, I would argue the Disneys, and, you know, the list goes on of the companies that really form the infrastructure for what we do, none of them were really formed overnight. None of them are overnight successes. And I think part of what has been challenging in the founder journey is knowing that you're in it to build for the long term. This isn't something that you're going to see overnight progress in, or even necessarily massive progress in a year or two. I've been working on this concept, you know, even unofficially perhaps for seven years. Mm-hmm. I actually dug up an email recently to my mom <laughs> that described seven years ago, hey, here's what I'm really going to pursue. And it's it's almost identical to what we are pursuing today. And I fully expect another seven years, 14 years, 21 years, whatever, I will still be pursuing this. And I think for me, It's about understanding that not everything is on a one-year, three-year, five-year horizon. I think it's very easy to get frustrated and say, I'm not where I wanted to be in one year. I really try and think about things on three-year timeframes as my minimum timeline, because I think you always overestimate what you can accomplish in a year, and you always underestimate what you can accomplish in three. And so I think part of really committing yourself to something is understanding and committing for that longer period of time because so much i think it's actually a disney quote since we're talking about it right it's uh the more often than not the the difference between winning and losing is not quitting oh and i think that's the heart of all of this i think that's really the heart of being in a tech startup or you know coming to the forefront in any field that you're in is you just don't give up no matter how many times you feel like you're hitting rock bottom or something has not worked out you don't give up it's always 
those struggles that turn into opportunities. Hundred, hundred thousand percent. And <laughs> let me give let me give the shorter answer. I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day, and yeah. you just have to understand that you know, the great Tracy Austin, the tennis player, once said that each day that she practiced as a child was like a drop of water on a rock. So after a week, after a year, after two years, you're not going to see any indentation on that rock. But after years and years, you will start to see the indentation form. And it takes that long. I love this story. And we want to continue to follow you and it and everything that you're creating. Kieran, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And Kieran's story, I'm really glad that we were able to profile her because she really crystallized this by saying that once she realized her dream came crashing down of being a professional dancer, okay, next. Okay, it's not that easy. I know, I know. But you guys, come on. Don't let yourself be derailed. You are in control of every single step of your life. Okay, so on that note, except for me actually ordering you to watch me Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox Business, it's the Claimant Countdown. I am, as always, so grateful to you guys for tuning in. You mean the world to me. I'll see you next time. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.